Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17 as we continue our messages from the book of Proverbs. I want to talk about friends in the body of Christ today. We're going to take a sort of passages from Proverbs, but I want us to look at the idea that the local church provides opportunity for fellowship that is found really nowhere else, a kind of fellowship, an ideal of fellowship, a standard of fellowship, which is found really nowhere else. I have been studying the idea of friends in the book of Proverbs, and the some 17 or 18 times that the word occurs, and I looked at all of those, and I'd read them, and I came back to categorize them, and they fell, the idea of godly friends in the Old Testament fell into five basic categories, which it occurred to me made a, a lot of sense regarding what we should get out of the church and what we should put into the church. I uh, went to lunch with some of the staff the other day. Some of them got there before I did, and when I arrived, they were laughing at me and talking about me and saying that each one ought to order something different because here comes the pastor, and he'll want us all to order something different so he can taste a little bit off of everybody's plate and because he loves food and he loves to try different things. And uh, I, of course, ordered Spanakopita that day and, uh, uh, because I wanted something different, and I saw that was the special. And suddenly it struck me that they could laugh at me and make a joke about me was a sign that maybe we're, as a staff, becoming a team. That's part of what goes on in the body of Christ. We belong to each other. I can laugh at you, you can laugh at me. I can look at you and encourage you, you can look at me and encourage me. What does membership in that local fellowship mean in terms of godly friendships and godly fellowship? And we all have unique sneezes. And uh, I've learned the sneezes on the staff. And so we just listen to those sneezes and go right on. Amen? Amen. <laughs> there are five things. I'm not even going to look over there. <laughs> that was a good one, I'll say that. <laughs> there are five things that I think this body owes you, and you owe this body. And the first is found in Proverbs 17, 17, and I call it reciprocal love. A friend loves, now underline this, at all times, even in the Old Testament covenant system Unconditional love was one of the ideals for fellowship, ideals for friendship, ideals for contacts within Israel. A friend loves at all times. Underline the phrase, at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. So what that means is that God in the Old Testament was creating a family. God was creating and building a family. That was to treat each other as God treated them, a friend loving unconditionally without regard for the circumstances. That's something I owe you. That's something you owe me. That's something we owe each other. 
In the New Testament, God is building a family. Jesus Christ is the elder brother, and we're all being made to look like him. We're all being poured into his image. And so, in the New Testament, bride of Christ, in the local assembly, Christ is building a fellowship, and we are in his fellowship. And because of that, having the same Lord, we are to love each other as he loves us. At all times means that no matter what I do, if I fail, if I bloody my nose, I should be able to go home and I should be able to go here when I can't go anywhere else and I will not be rejected. Acceptance is the first fundamental mark of a godly fellowship. In fact, the scripture records that when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to be with him. He wanted to be with them. And the fundamental mark of any godly friendship or any godly fellowship is that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We come together. The church universal organizes in the church local, and we function as a body relating to each other, loving one another at all times. A friend loves at all times. If ever grace is to be given, it is to be given here. If ever love is to be dispensed, it is to be dispensed in the body of Christ and in a Christian home. I'm struck by that because we don't get, it appears at least, that we don't get much teaching on unconditional love in the Old Testament because the Old Testament covenant was somewhat conditional, and yet here is a clear teaching that we in some way being made in the image of God are to reflect the unconditional love of God for a friend, a true friend, loves at all times. I'm not so concerned about those who gather around me if I win the Powerball lottery. Can you imagine that? 13 machinists winning $295 million. I hope at least one of them goes to church and knows how to tithe. Amen. So the Lord gets some of that money back. I remember several years ago, uh, there was a, a gentleman in another city who won a lottery in Virginia, and uh, he called his pastor and wanted to give a tithe off of it to the church, and the pastor refused to take it. As soon as I read that in the paper, I called over there information to get his name <laughs> and said, the devil's had it long enough. I'll take it. We'll take it over here if you need some place to give it. The, the fact is that in the body of Christ, we love because that's because we were loved that way, unconditionally. A friend loves at all times. Christ has called us to be with him. I owe that to you. You owe that to me. We owe that to each other, to build a fellowship in which the world looks and peeks and says, can you imagine, behold, how they love one another, which ought to have characterized us from the earliest days of the body of Christ. But we owe each other not only reciprocal love, we owe each other reciprocal purity. Turn to chapter 22 of Proverbs and look at this verse carefully. Reciprocal purity, verse 11, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Now ponder that for a moment. 
and then restate that in your own language. And when I did that, it came out something like this. He who loves holiness and godliness and purity and practices grace towards others with his lips will attract all kinds of the very best and the very highest company. Now, most young people really don't understand this principle, but you will tend to attract the people around you based upon what you love. Your friends will be attracted or driven from you based upon what you love. And here is something that is absolutely essential in the body of Christ. Virtue attracts virtue. Godly character attracts godly character. I owe this to the body of Christ. When I love holiness and when I love purity of heart, then I serve as a magnet to attract others who are godly into that same body. And I owe that to this body. And you owe that to this body. A pastor I was talking with a couple of weeks ago said to me, he said, I don't understand this church. They have no standards. They don't they say they believe the Bible, but when you try to apply the Bible, they reject the Bible. They don't want to deal with sin. They don't love holiness. They don't love purity. They do whatever will keep the peace. Don't rock the boat. Don't upset anybody. They might stop giving. And I want to tell you, the fear of men is a snare at that point. But godly purity of heart and godly virtue attracts godly virtue. It is God's will that in this body we collect those folks who love holiness and godliness and sexual purity and financial purity. They love it so much that they attract others who have the same love because that's the essence of this. He who loves purity of heart, even the king will be his friend. He will attract friends based upon his love of godliness and holiness and purity. You owe that to this body. And at the same time, if we despise purity, and we despise holiness, and we have low standards, we will tend to attract those people into the body who agree with us. You'll do that in your network. You'll do that in your friendships. That's why it's very important for you to let your friends know, young people, where do I stand? I love purity. I love holiness. I love godliness. God said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And when the when the world looks inside the body and sees your life and sees my life and they see that we love purity, the result is they're attracted to us because virtue attracts virtue, character attracts character. Now, I don't mean that everybody has to be holy in order to get into the church and everybody has to be perfect. We love purity of heart even though we understand that we sin and we break that fellowship when we sin. We affect it. Hold your hand here for a moment and go back over to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, 8, and 9. And look with me at what this passage reminds us. Now, let's not see it so much in light of confession. Let's see it in light of a fellowship. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There it is. See, our fellowship with each other depends upon walking in the light, being obedient to the understanding of God's Word, to the light that God has given us. And we, we, we keep striving to understand what the Word of God claims for us. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, 
keeps on cleansing us from sin. Sin in the fellowship can destroy the fellowship. Or Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin over here, a little sin over there, and suddenly the entire body of Christ is affected by the leaven, by the unconfessed and unrequited sin. There it is. And so we walk in the light and we have fellowship with one another. Our fellowship is contingent upon loving godliness, loving purity, loving holiness, and dealing with sin because sin affects our fellowship. It affects my fellowship with you, your fellowship with me. I owe purity of life to you and you owe purity of life to me. And we owe that to each other in the body of Christ. And we cannot make light of sin. We cannot make light of doctrine. We cannot make light of holiness. We cannot make light of godliness. In one of Flannery O'Connor's novels, Wise Blood, Hazel Motes meets a semi-literate street preacher named Ani J. Holy. (laughs) And he's preaching on the streets. And he's preaching the holy church of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. And uh, he's listing reasons why people should come join his church. And he gives three good reasons. This, his church, which is called the church of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. The holy church. Number one, he said, you, I, this is a quote from the novel, you can rely on it that it's nothing foreign connected with it. You don't have to believe nothing you don't understand and approve of. If you don't understand it, it ain't true, and that's all there is to it. No, no jokers in the deck, please. Now, imagine what kind of a church O'Connor's describing. Number two, Ani J. Holy says, it's based on the Bible. Yes, sir, it's based on your own personal interpretation of the Bible. Friends, you can sit at home and interpret your Bible however you feel in your heart. It ought to be interpreted. And number three, he said, this church is up to date. When you're in this church, you know that there's nothing or nobody ahead of you. Nobody knows nothing you don't know. All the cards are on the table, friends, and that's a fact. No one is better than O'Connor at using the bizarre and the grotesque to describe a situation. But unfortunately, she's describing more of modern Christianity than we dare to admit. We've got a church without Christ. We've got a holy body without any holiness. We're trying to have a holy society without any, without any godliness in it. And so we owe each other not only reciprocal love, but reciprocal purity. Here's a third thing we owe each other. We owe each other reciprocal honesty. Turn on with me to chapter 27 and verse 6 of Proverbs. And here it is. You may not like this, but it's the Bible, and you can't interpret it, as Ani J. Holy said, any way you want. You've got to interpret it as the, as the body together sees it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, in a godly friendship, in a godly fellowship, the wounds of a friend, of a faithful friend, are good. Actually, what the writer is saying is reiterated over and over again in the New Testament. We owe each other reciprocal transparency, honesty in the body of Christ. 
Or as the same chapter says in verse 17, iron sharpens iron. That's why I come to church. That's why the church is not just a loose-knit universal spiritual body lying out here in bed on Sunday mornings. That's why we make an effort to rise up and come to the body. We rise up and come to Sunday school class. The teacher teaches the word. There's somebody in there who's iron sharpening us. We meet each other. Iron sharpens iron. You have an impact upon me. I have an impact upon you. You smile at me. I smile at you. But if I see that there needs to be a call, there needs to be a, a, a confrontation, then I am free and transparent and honest enough that I can go to you and say to you, Bro Brother Ken, there's something in your life that I need to talk to you about because the wounds of a faithful friend are good to you. But beware when an enemy kisses you. It is far better to have a godly friend who will tell you the truth about yourself than it is to have a friend who will hide the truth and talk about you behind your back and kiss you to your face. We owe that to each other in the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that every Sunday somebody ought to come up to you and confront you and accuse you or criticize you. But it does mean in a loving, godly way it does mean you can come to me and I'm to be transparent and open to what you have to say. That's where this accountability factor comes in. That's what the young people were saying. That's why getting involved in a Sunday school class is so valuable for you. Being a part of a small group fellowship where you can be with 15, 20, or 30 people on a Sunday morning instead of just a mass. And they can get to know you and they can help hold you accountable. I ran into one of our members several uh, weeks ago, and I said to him, uh, I haven't seen you for a while. And he said to me, nobody has called me, not anybody from my class, not anybody from the church. We owe that. We owe that to each other. We, we, we Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I, I owe that to you. You owe that to me. I'm being more faithful to you when I tell you the truth, when I'm honest with you, but I do it in love. The Bible says I'm to tell the truth, but I'm to tell it in love. Now, if you want to criticize uh, the message, come and do it in love. Now, if you do it in the wrong way, you're probably going to raise up my old sinful flesh we preached about last week and get me rankled a little bit. But it's all right. Tell me the truth. I need that. You need that. I need somebody who can tell me the truth about myself. Sometimes in the body of Christ, we might argue. Sometimes we might not see everything all right, but that's okay. It's in, in that kind of discussion and that kind of honesty where we shape ourselves and we learn who we are and we firm up our beliefs. But we owe each other reciprocal honesty. It ought to be that when you come into this church, every time you come into this church, that you ought to be coming to be built up, to be edified. Uh, somebody asked Queen Victoria in England about her two most famous prime ministers, Gladstone and Disraeli. And how would she stack them up and how would she match them? And she said, when I was with Gladstone, she said, I felt like I was with one of the most important persons in the whole world. But when I was with Disraeli, I felt like I was one of the most important persons in this whole world. I want to tell you, when you come to church here, I want you to leave feeling encouraged. 
I'm going to preach against sin. I'm going to preach on judgment. I'm going to preach on hell. I'm going to preach on the second coming. I want to preach on godliness, and I want to preach on purity. But in the end, there is grace for our failure. There is forgiveness for our sin. And when you come into this body, this ought not to be a place where you come to get attacked in Sunday school. People can be honest with you, but listen, receive it well, because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And iron sharpens iron. That's the way God builds us. We owe each other reciprocal honesty so that when we leave this building on Sunday morning, I want you to leave feeling you're one of the greatest persons in the whole world. Tim, I want you to know you're important to this church. Do you understand? And, and, and uh, Alfred, I want you to know you're important to this body. Do you understand that? And uh, 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 Frank, I want you to know you're important to this body. And Bob French, I want you to know you're important to this body. And Stan, I want you to know you're important to this body. I want you to leave feeling like, hey, that church makes me feel important. I'm a part of Calvary Baptist Church. I've got godly friends there. They'll tell me the truth. They won't just sugarcoat it. They'll be honest with me, and I can take it, and they'll let me be honest with them. Amen? There's a fourth thing I think that the church owes you and you owe the church, and that's reciprocal counsel. We owe each other reciprocal counsel. I give love, I get love. I give purity, I get purity. I give honesty, I get honesty. And I give counsel, I receive counsel. Chapter 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart. And if I were going to translate this verse I would add most of the time. <laughs> I've had some folks come into my office. They had so much perfume on, it absorbed into your nostrils. You even look like it. I went home some time ago, and Shirley came up sniffing around me and said, where have you been? Who have you been with? Well, I said I was 19 feet from this lady, but she had on perfume, and, uh, and uh, I picked it up. Mm -hmm, she said, mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course, that reminds me of when old Van Savner said he asked Gypsy Smith, the famous evangelist, when his wife died at 58, he married again at 59. He married a 28-year-old woman and said, Gypsy, why don't you marry a 28-year-old woman? He said, I'd rather smell perfume than anointment. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? He said, I'd rather smell perfume than ointment. <laughs> Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Isn't that a great verse? Hearty counsel. Two heads are better than one. Two hearts are better than one. Two perspectives are better than one. And the book has a lot to say about counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In the body of Christ, we owe that to each other. Don't go into business without taking counsel from a godly friend. Have somebody pray with you about it. Don't try to deal with a problem without taking godly counsel. And the best way to get to the point where you can give counsel is to first take it. That's why I like to ask people their opinions. Everybody in this building is an expert on something. And everybody here knows something about something that I don't know. And therefore, I'm anxious to learn what you've got to, to, to say. I want to know how you feel about this. 
And the, the quickest way for me to earn the right to give you counsel is for me to ask counsel from you. And when you give it to me and I've learned to take it, then you're, you're not going to be afraid to come uh, to me for counsel when you need it. And that's why I call this reciprocal counsel. Reciprocal counsel. Jason Bray was up at camp, and I heard somebody playing the guitar. And, and, and I thought, who is playing the guitar like that? And I was out on a wing, and I went in to see it. There he was picking that guitar. I didn't know, Jerry, he could play like that. And, and I thought, how did this kid, I've watched, I mean, I, I remember when he didn't know how to feed his face, and here he is playing the guitar like a Spanish master. Uh, only he can't speak Spanish, I guess. But anyway, uh, here he is playing a guitar that way. And, and I thought, you know, isn't it amazing to watch people grow? Isn't it amazing for them to pick up things? And, and isn't it amazing? And, and, and I listened to Brian Mann. I remember when Brian didn't know which, he didn't know his left shoe from his right. And now he can sit down and write music and play anything. All you have to do is hum it once and he can make it sound like a huge Hollywood orchestra. That's a gift, Amen. He's got something to teach me about music now. Oh, sure, I've known about music longer than he has, but I've known on it, on it down here at this primary level. I learned chords from Fred over Tracy Big Bowles, a little bl a blind, crippled accordionist and pianist that my dad uh, brought around the house because he didn't have any place to live. And he taught me chords so I can play in C, F, and G. And occasionally in B flat if it's not too complicated. And I learned those chords, but I stayed at that level because I had other things. He was growing in how, how to play, and now I can learn from him. That's why in the body of Christ we owe each other reciprocal counsel. You've been through things I haven't been through. I've been through things you haven't been through. You've got some scripture you can apply to me. I've got some scripture I can apply to you. We owe each other that in the body of Christ. And the best way to earn the right to give it is to, to learn to take it. And the time has come for us to put away the idea we don't want to be a burden to anyone. Folks, if you're in this body, you are a burden, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> Amen? And I'm a burden to you. And we, that's just the way it is. We're going to have to be a burden to each other. But it's a good burden. And it's a burden that the Lord makes light. And it's a burden that the Lord helps us to carry. And it's a burden the Lord helps us to share. And we owe each other that. We are not a bunch of islands stuck out here by ourselves. We are an assembly of God's people joined together to march forward towards heaven and storm the gates of hell. That's who we are. And we owe each other love. And we owe each other purity. And we owe each other honesty. And we owe each other godly counsel and prayer. Build a network of friends. Build a network of accountability. Build a network of people who will call you to make sure that you're standing true for God. There's a fifth thing in the book, and that's reciprocal commitment. Chapter 27, verse 10, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Now, the way I take that to mean, you want to keep some godly friends, you need to be a part of a godly fellowship, and you need to be committed to your own friends and even your father's friend. Notice that? Your father's friend. Your father's friend. And I thought about some Old Testament friendships where the friendship and the love of a dad extended even to the next generation. 
There are some people that I will always be good to just because they were good to my dad. There are some people that I'm going to be loyal to, and that's what makes up commitment. There it is. It's trust, and it's loyalty, and it's faithfulness equal commitment. And those things can only be defined by testing. You can only build trust by test. You can only build loyalty by test. You can only build faithfulness by test. And I'm going to protect my father's friends and I'm going to be loyal. Those persons to whom I've made commitments in the body of Christ, I will go to the wall with them and not forsake them. Because it's better to have a friend nearby who's there in a time of need than even a blood brother who's far away. Now, I'm pretty close to my brother's. I spend a lot of money every month calling every one of my brothers. I used to call my mom and dad every, every week, sometimes two times a week. And I found myself sitting quietly the other night, late at night, thinking it's time to call mom and dad, and I don't have anybody to call anymore. And I thought, well, who am I going to call now? <laughs> and I call my kids. In fact, I've been thinking about getting one of those 800 lines so all the kids can call me more often. Anybody, are those worth it? I mean, do you save any money on those? Are they? They are worth it. I need to, I need to do that and say to each of my children, here it is. Here's the 800 number. Call me anytime. Except when you want money. <laughs> no. No, call me anytime. <laughs> but that's what we owe each other in the body of Christ. Reciprocal commitment. There are some of you in here that I honestly believe would do absolutely anything I ask you to do. You are that committed to me as a brother in Christ. I am committed to you as a body. I would do almost anything other than violate my commitment to God for this body. And that's the way it is to be in the body of Christ. That's the kind of fellowship God wanted us to build. That's why you need to be a part of the local assembly. I was standing the other day in one of our buildings, and I was tired, and it was a little, I was a little discouraged. Yeah, I get discouraged once in a while. Not often, but I do sometimes. And I remember looking around and I, thinking, what does air conditioning have to do with the kingdom of God? What do computers have to do with the kingdom of God? What's all this stuff? All these activities were going, 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 running, 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 running. Organized, organized, organized. Functioning, functioning, functioning. What's the good of it all? And I was in one of my anti-disestablishmentarian modes. And as I was standing there in the hallway, oh, I know what it was. What, what set it off was they were putting new carpet over there in that E building. And by the way, it looks great. And it's wonderful. Amen. <laughs> and the Lord just kind of quieted my heart and said, Hey, Courts, what's the matter with you? And I began to think about the value of the local organized functioning church. And now, now, some of you say, Wait a minute. I know there are folks who have been visiting this church for 11 years. But I've got questions about the local organized institutional church. Isn't saved enough? Isn't being saved enough? Folks, yeah, it's enough to get you to heaven. 
but, but God has given us the church for a purpose. P.T. for science said, quote, the same act which sets us in Christ sets us also in the society of Christ. To join a local church then is to prove that you are really in the spiritual body. Don't be afraid to join a local church. This is the way God does his work. You wouldn't want to say to a woman, you know, I, I really love you. Man, I'm mad in love with you. But I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to get involved. I, I, I'd like to live with you, but I don't want to get all tied up in getting married and, and uh, having to go buy a license and mix our bank accounts and, 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 and make a will together. Well, that would be awful. I, I, I want to just stay in a true, pure marriage. Where we do it, it's just, there's nothing institutional or organized about it. It's just all spiritual. I'll tell you, some folks have tried that. And there are some people who say the same thing about the local church. I don't want to be a part of a local church. Saved is enough. I'm a part of the church universal. Wait a minute. It's an expression of what is true spiritually when we make an outward expression by hooking ourselves to a local assembly which requires of us that we be honest and give counsel and give love and all the things we've been talking about in the book of Proverbs. Isn't the church filled with sinners? Some people say, oh, yes. And if you come and join, guess what? There'll be another one in the church. Amen? <laughs> Yeah, that's what we're about. But Christ still loves the church, doesn't he? He didn't say the church was perfect. You know, his bride has got some imperfections. What the scripture says when it likens the church to his bride is that he's preparing his bride for himself, and that's what he's doing to the church. He's getting us ready. When Jesus comes again, the church will be made absolutely perfect. We're not blemish-free now. We've got warts all over us. Some of, got, uh, of us have personalities that rub each other the wrong way. Some of us have got ideas that rub somebody else the wrong way. But we're not perfect, but God is working on us. We're a church that, that, that he's turning into what he wants it to be. The first step in loving Christ's church is joining Christ's church, joining that fellowship, putting your life to the point where you're accountable to somebody. Some people want to talk about the organized institutional church as bad, and it reminds me that Gnosticism is not dead. The Gnosticism of the early church, which said that Jesus and the incarnation only appeared. He wasn't real. That's why John wrote his whole book. That which our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and which our hands have handled, the word of life was real. And Gnosticism said, everything material is evil and is bad. And that's not biblical, folks. The things that are earthly and material and organized and institutions are not all automatically evil. The church is not automatically evil because it's organized. That's why we have deacons. That's why we have preschool workers. That's why we have Sunday school teachers. We translate the spiritual into the material, and we demonstrate our love for the spiritual by being a part of the physical. We acknowledge that God is not done in this world, and this is the way he carries on much of his work. As, the, as God himself was incarnate in Christ and stooped down to this earth in the person of Christ, who was real, you could handle him. So the Holy Spirit stoops down into this church, into the institutional local church, and he does his work. 
And that's why we work hard at the local church. That's why we ask you to go through new member orientation. We're not just a free society for those who got a shopping list of what kind of preachers they want, what kind of churches they want, and they're running around until they find exactly what they want. We're the body of Christ. We have things in the New Testament required of us, and we're going to require them of you. And that is reciprocal love and reciprocal honesty and counsel and and, uh, all those things we talked about. And so the alternatives are not a spiritual church versus an organized church. It's an organized spiritual church versus disorganized chaos. God's lined us up. He did that in the early church. He's doing it today. The New Testament church was not a spiritualized, ghostly community of believers without any organization, without any form, without any marching orders. It was, an or, it was an organized church. The church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, the church at Galatia, the church at Calvary Baptist, the, the church wherever. The reality of the spiritual is measured by the degree to which it becomes physical. Everything spiritual has a physical manifestation. And God has put us in this body to love each other, to practice reciprocal love at all times. To help each other maintain purity of heart and reciprocal honesty and transparency and accountability. He's put us here so that we don't get out on a tangent, to put some emotional and intellectual limits to our tangential tendency to run off on one issue. Thank God we got the whole body concerned about all the issues. Amen? And it's, we're in this body for reciprocal commitment. I've got a commitment to you, and you've got a commitment to me. We're a part of the body of Christ. In the Vietnam War, a squad, a scouting squad, was scouting out an enemy position, and the lead patrol, the lead man, came under heavy fire and was shot and killed. The, The man leading the squadron, said, everybody down, don't anybody move, don't anybody go up there to get him, let him be, let him alone, leave him alone up there. And the fire began to rain down upon them. And all of a sudden, one man in that squad broke loose. And he ran into the fire, got hit himself, bent over the man who'd been hit and brought down, and pulled him back to the rest of the scouting group where the man expired, and died. And the leader looked at him and said, why did you go after that man? You you knew he'd been hit. You knew there was a great chance you would be hit. And this is what he said, Sarge. He said, I went after that man because I wanted to hear him say before he died, I knew that you would come and get me. I knew you would come and get me. And that's where we are in the body of Christ. When sin attacks, when we've been hurt, when we've been bombarded by temptation, when you're a part of a local assembly and you're active in a Sunday school class and in a Bible study fellowship, when you're hit and down, there's somebody to run up there to the front lines and bring you back and say, I care enough to come even when you're under fire. 
If you've never been saved, you can't be in the church in the real body without being saved. But Christ died on a cross for your sins so that if you receive him as your Savior, he applies the blood of the cross to your sin and forgives you, sets you into the body. If you're a member of another congregation, you've been attending here, you need to be a part of this local church. You need a local assembly where you can not just be a spectator. Now, I know some of you got burned out at other churches, and you came to a big church so that you could rest. You didn't want to think or serve or do nothing for a while. Amen? I know. But the time has come. You've been, thinking, you've been not thinking, not doing, not serving, doing nothing long enough. It's time to say, I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to be a part of an organized, functioning church. I'm going to put my shoulder to the wheel with other people who are in a common goal, serving a common great commission, serving a common Savior. And I'm going to be a part of this church. You need to come today. And some of you are backslidden in the sense that you've gotten a long ways away from any form of accountability in the body. You've gotten a long ways from, from really spiritually participating in the body, and you need to come back and say, here I am, Lord. Do with me as you'd like. Let's stand in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God and pray that you shall speak to all of us through it and by it and from it. Draw those who need a savior to yourself and draw those who need to be restored to fellowship to this place of prayer and praise. And speak to those who are needing a church home that they might come and be a part of, of an imperfect fellowship that you're working on to build and edify and grace in Jesus' name. Amen.